Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Top Docs Radio, brought to you by Medical Association of Georgia. With over 7,800 physician members, MAG is pleased to advocate on behalf of Georgia's patients and physicians. Visit mag.org and on Twitter at mag1849. Join the conversation on Twitter at Top Docs on BRX. Hey, what's up, everyone? It is CW. Thank you for joining us on today's Top Docs Radio Show in partnership with Medical Association of Georgia. Real pleased to have our guest in the studio today. He's been with us before and is certainly an expert in what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be looking at bad outcomes in the provision of healthcare. We know that they happen. We know that things don't always go as they were expected to. And we know that many of the times that that's just a statistical fact. It just happens. It doesn't necessarily require someone to do something incorrectly or nefarious to create a bad outcome that was uh, unplanned and unexpected and and has significant costs in in quality of life and, and in treasure as well. And we've got with us in the studio today, Uh, legal expert attorney Dan Huff. He's a partner at Huff, Powell, and Bailey here in Atlanta. He specialized in the defense of high damage lawsuits, primarily medical malpractice lawsuits and claims for more than 25 years. He's represented defendants in more than 100 jury trials and has tried 30 medical malpractice cases in Georgia in the last five years. It's also worth noting he writes a regular column for the Journal of Medical Association of Georgia, and he's made both the Georgia Super Lawyer and the Top 100 Lawyers in Georgia lists a number of times during his career. Clearly somebody who can speak well to the the topic of this kind of outcome. So thanks for taking some time to slog through the traffic to get here, Dan. Thanks for uh, having me, CW. It's great to be here. Talk a little bit about what we're what we're getting into here. When we talk about a bad outcome, how bad does it have to be? It it can be as bad as it gets, but it doesn't have to be, you know, a death or a catastrophe. Um, a bad outcome can simply be a patient and doctor's expectations um, just were not met. I mean, we all, as patients, want the best outcomes for ourselves and our family. And when things don't go as planned, that can be considered a bad outcome. And, you know, some patients are more tolerant of things than others, but a bad outcome can simply be, well, the surgery was supposed to be done in the morning. Um, and it took all day and I waited around and didn't get out of there till later in the evening. Um, for some people, that's a bad outcome. For other people, they're just happy the surgery went well. Right. Now, I haven't really looked too heavily into literature or articles around the the notion of bad outcomes, really, to have a handle of just how how frequently they occur. If I was to give an anecdotal bet, I would bet it be under 10%. Um, probably under five, um, but somewhere in that neighborhood. I'm, I'm willing to wager that well over 90% of the time things go fine. That's a, that's exactly right. I mean, I think if we look at bad outcomes from a complication rate standpoint, so if you have a procedure or a hospitalization, there's always a complication rate for everything. Mm-hmm. And most complication rates are really in the 1%, 2% or less, just depending on it. So your instincts are right. It's a small percentage of cases where that happens. But when we're applying that across millions of people, we're talking to probably a few incidents in the course of a year. That's absolutely right. <laughs> Every doctor is going to have their share of uh, complications in a given year. Some unavoidable, some avoidable. Now talk about that, uh, because as I mentioned in my opening comment, 
that many times it's just a it's just a we know it's a possibility it's it's statistically improbable but this might happen even if everything goes great with the, with the procedure for example if we're talking surgery or other treatment but what you were saying is that there are many that are preventable and obviously that's a key to focus on because some of them you can't control and and how much of an impact can you have if you avoid those that are preventable so how many are we thinking that we can get get to not happen I think there's definitely a percentage of things that um, that happen to patients that are preventable, that steps can be taken to try and reduce the risk of bad outcomes with many patients. And taking those steps will actually prevent some. But the truth is, and, and you alluded to this, there's many things that are simply unpreventable in medicine. And that's really why we have the complication rate, because we know no matter how well the doctor or the hospital staff do in a particular procedure or hospitalization, you can still get a complication just because healthcare is risky, disease processes are unpredictable. There's a lot we don't know still even today about a variety of medical conditions. Um, and, and in general, medications and their interaction with each other um, also are somewhat unpredictable and can lead to unforeseeable things. When we're talking about this type of bad outcome that we achieve that is causing my you know quality of life to be impacted in whatever way it was i'm sure that many people immediately think about the physician or or nursing staff that are administering care whether it's in an office or other setting but i mean how does this impact hospitals as well because i know i mean they in and of themselves just by their nature come with some measures of risk that we'd like we've talked about are going to be unavoidable what's what's it like how does this impact the hospitals? Well, hospitals are definitely in the business of good outcomes. So they want their patients to have the best possible outcomes, feel good about the hospitalization so that they will come back. But also it costs hospitals. The hospitals also want outcomes to be the best so that they can move patients out and use the beds for additional patients. And so when there are bad outcomes and patients have complications, their hospital stays are longer. Um, there's a cost in, to that to the hospital in availability of services, availability of beds. And also it's something now that we as a society and, and the federal government is looking at very closely. How many times are patients coming back with complications from a hospitalization? Mm -hmm. And they're using that to evaluate the quality of care. Right. What's the infection rate? for a particular hospital. And, and at least once a year, the AJC will put out statistics about various uh, complication rates at different hospitals that people take note of. And it's a way that we informally and somewhat formally grade the hospital. So it does, it makes a big difference to the hospitals and how they are perceived and also how they run their patient care. I'm sure that that, uh, from my perspective, having that information out there to be publicly available like that is a good thing. I think that for whatever reason you may argue that your rate of occurrence is greater than someone else, I have a feeling that if it gets out into a public report card like that, that it's going to probably incentivize a measure of urgency around, we got to get this under control and put in place, you know, maybe look at our care management 
process, whatever, those things, that kind of feedback is going to make you try to fix it, I would assume. No question about it. And and hospitals don't, they don't wait for that information to try and address this. It's something that they work on all the time. They're always trying to improve um, their patient outcomes. Mm-hmm. But that, that data is very important. And it has to be taken with a grain of salt because some facilities who maybe not be doing as well as other hospitals also may have a higher risk patient population. They're taking care of more of the sicker patients than other hospitals. And of course, the sicker the patients are that you're taking care of, the higher the complication or rate and bad outcomes are going to be. I guess I was, as you were talking about that, I was wondering, well, how do you get to take credit for it? I would assume that risk adjustment is a big part of that. We were talking with an expert on that topic just two or three weeks ago. It seems like there's got to be ways that the a hospital or a physician can, even in the public's eye, be able to have that have that credit given, if you will. We're we have outcomes because we're taking care of the sickest of the sick. Yeah, th- and I think I think the public generally recognizes that with certain hospitals that they're getting the sickest patients coming in, and and it's. It takes a measure of bravery or courage for doctors to take care of the really sick patients in a particular specialty. So if you're a surgeon, um, you can take care of on an elective basis. People are are pretty healthy and do elective surgeries on those. But other surgeons choose to, or by the nature of where they practice, have to take care of people who may be an elective surgery, but they've got a lot of other diseases that are going to make it more difficult and challenging. And the increase likelihood that they may not have as good of an outcome. So I think people recognize that. And it's an important thing that we have, that we have hospitals who take care of very sick patients and doctors who are willing to do operations on patients that um, have other diseases as well. When it comes to an event occurs, it didn't go as planned, whatever reason, whatever, whatever that was that was not expected, we're calling it the, the bad outcome in this situation. When it happens, and I'm the provider of care, whether I'm a physician or maybe a a physician extender, whoever the case may be leading their care that is involved in the outcome. Mm -hmm. What do they need to do? And I'm sure there's some, just like every other untoward event from a legal perspective, there's a measure of steps you should probably take to protect yourself and document things correctly. That's that's exactly right. I think the most important thing at first, um, you know, what kind of gets lost in this, we, we tend to focus a lot on the patient when there's a bad outcome or the patient's family member. But we, we need to always remember that the people who are taking care of the patient are dramatically impacted as well. If it's a really bad outcome, the physicians, nurses, and other healthcare providers who are taking um, care of the patient, they're going to be severely impacted by it. I mean, these are folks who went into school and training and have made it their profession to take care of people. When something doesn't go as planned, they're devastated by it as well. So step number one, if you are involved in a bad outcome, is to take a moment and gather yourself and reflect on what has happened. Don't go rushing into talking to anybody about it, but take a moment, think through things, take a moment for yourself to focus. And then I don't want, and I wouldn't recommend that you go too far as a physician in focusing on yourself because you can tend to then look at it from your own self-interest, and that's not good. Mm -hmm. It's always important in that situation, I think, to put yourself in the shoes of the patient or the patient's family or loved ones and say, okay, what would my expectation be of information at this point from my doctor? We've had a bad outcome. 
everybody's very upset. So now, what's my expectation about what the doctor is going to do? What are they? What can I expect? And by if you're a physician focusing on that, I think you will understand that communication with the patient or the patient's family is very important and being very detailed in your explanation about what happened and why. And many times you won't know in that first conversation, but it's important to communicate very directly with them. And if there are things that are not answered, that you don't know the answer to, unanswered questions, it's important to say, here's what happened. Here's what I know happened. And here's what we don't know I'm going to find out the answers to these questions for you. And in the meantime, here's what we're going to do going forward. So that's really the key step so that everybody's comfortable. Don't dodge any questions. The family and the patient will have questions. They'll have questions then. They'll think of questions 20 minutes later. They'll think of questions the next day. And you need to answer those questions when they come up. Are are there some no-nos in that conversation that that you can recommend stay away from comments like x y or z yeah there definitely are generally don't speculate about anything make it very factual what you know happened you can explain but don't speculate about something you don't know about another no no is to throw blame around um many times after a bad outcome we can get into um the process of thinking okay well I need to blame somebody for this happening or something for this happening. That's not a good idea. You want to just be very factual about it. If there is always a time and a place later in the process for discussions of blame to take place, but starting out by discussing anything, even if there is blame to go around with the patient is never a good idea. Um, And that's not to to keep it from the patient, but um, that is something you don't want to do in a open setting with the patient until all the facts are known and information is, a, you know, all the answers to all the questions. Talking with medical legal expert, attorney Dan Huff, learning about the prevalence of bad outcomes in the delivery of healthcare, uh, things that we can be thinking about as those who provide that care, whether we're in a doctor's office or in a hospital setting. And what about, Dan, when when someone calls a colleague is is called to say, you know, hey, I've I've had this event, I need your assistance, or you know, somebody's called in. I mean, is this what should that person consider around this engagement, if you will? Sure. So, I mean, medicine is set up so that if something bad happens to a patient, the patient has a bad outcome, other people will be brought in to help take care of the patient. Um, it is critical and important that the person who's being called to help get all the information so that they can best take care of the patient. That's the time for full disclosure, not limited disclosure. So for example, if you've had a patient that has goes into a cardiac arrest, the code team is gonna to respond to that. And the people who are going to resuscitate the patient are gonna respond. It's critical that the people who were taking care of the patient before the code team provide all the information that they can about what was going on with the patient so that they can best take care of the patient. And I believe that really does happen most of the time. Human instinct may, or, or cynicism may make you say, well, if, if you messed up as a healthcare provider and you've had to call in people to help you, maybe you're not going to disclose mistakes that you made or something that didn't go um, the way you wanted it to. In my experience, actually, healthcare providers are very candid, and they do do that for the benefit of the patient. And just, 
you know, we'll live with the consequences of that helper maybe saying, well, when I first came on board, I learned that this didn't go the way it was supposed to. Should I apologize if I'm a healthcare provider and something has gone awry? I mean, should I say, geez, I'm sorry that happened or I'm sorry I did that, whatever the case may be? Yeah, I think I think apologies are very good um, in this setting. And certainly you always want to apologize for what has happened to a patient. Mm. So um, I'm very sorry this happened is, is, is an appropriate in almost every sing- single setting in healthcare. I'm very sorry you're going through this. I'm very sorry we're going to have to go back to the operating okay. room to redo the surgery. Um, saying I'm sorry for something I did, like I'm very sorry I made this mistake, um, is a little bit different. And I think that's what, kind of like putting blame on another person or on yourself, I don't think that's something you want to do until you know all of the facts. So, for example, if a patient's had surgery and they're having a bad out, they've had a bad outcome, and the decision's made, we're going to go back to the operating room. Um, you wouldn't, I wouldn't advise somebody to say at that point, "I've made a mistake, and that's why we have to go back to the operating room." And I'm sorry I made that mistake. I think if you go back to the operating room and you find out that you did make a mistake then apologizing after that is the right way to do it. I wouldn't immediately apologize for something until you have all the facts other than, I'm very sorry this happened to you. I'm sorry we have to do this. I think that's actually some valuable information because if you think about the fender bender, for example, everything I've ever heard, now I don't know if it's good, but everything I've ever heard is do not get out of a car and say, I'm sorry. Correct. Even if you know for a fact that you did it, that it was your problem, you were texting, you were distracted, whatever, you, you caused the, the fender bender, never, ever say, I'm sorry. That's right. In, in the fender bender setting <laughs> and in other settings, that's actually an admission of fault um, by saying you're sorry. Um, Georgia law provides protection for doctors and okay. nurses and healthcare providers where that apology can never be used against um, a that's doctor. That's great to know provider. because I, I believe I've always, the, everything I've been educated about when I was going through my training in the healthcare days long ago, and everything that I've heard r- around the notion of patient satisfaction, even when something untoward happens, is to show compassion and to show humanity and Absolutely. not try to distance yourself from that for fear, like you say, that I'll, if I say I'm sorry this happened, that I'm somehow admitting that I did something incorrectly. Um, it, it's a, it's an important distinction. This is one of those places where that is valuable versus being damaging to my case. <laughs> Correct. There's no question about it. There's you should always show sympathy and empathy for a patient that's had a bad outcome, and that includes feeling sorry and saying I'm sorry this has happened. I mean, it can be as simple as this: um, Look, we both wanted this to go this way, and it didn't. I'm really sorry that it has. Um, and and we're going to do everything we can to fix that. That's 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 appropriate in 100% situations involving the bad outcome. I only caution people to when because there are there are folks and who in general who tend to take blame for everything even mm-hmm. without knowing all the facts and circumstances. So you know you don't need to immediately apologize for something you did until you know everything that took place. Uh, what about when it comes to the documentation of the event or outcome itself. I mean, how do I need to go about that? So the documentation should definitely take place as soon as possible after the bad outcome. Um, that's that's a that's a critical component because you want it to be fresh because it needs to be complete and you want to be very factual in your documentation about what happened. 
and what the plan is. So it should be very fact specific about this is what happened and this is what our plan is. And then I've spoken to the patient or the patient's family about the plan and this is what we're going to do going forward. Like, Like the first communication with the family, the documentation should not include any blame, accusations, and that there again there's a there's a time and a place for that to air those things out so that healthcare can be improved but it's not in those first conversations or um first documentation after a bad outcome when it comes to a negative event that occurs in the hospital setting maybe I'm an affiliated physician providing care something goes wrong um while the patient was in the hospital uh, and I know both physicians and folks who aren't um, physicians or healthcare providers listen to our show. I mean, what can you expect from the perspective of how the hospital approaches both me as a as a healthcare provider in the case, or you know the the family that's involved or patient that's involved? How do the hospitals usually approach this? Well, first thing, the hospital usually they need to know about it. So number one is when there has been a bad outcome that. Um, is going to warrant additional care and treatment, you know, the hospital needs to be aware of it, whether it's through nursing leadership or risk management or administration or somehow the hospital needs to know about it. So, um, you know, I think in the past, and, and hospitals are very good about this now, in the past, perhaps a surgeon would have a bad outcome or a physician would have a bad outcome and they try to keep it to themselves. They didn't want the hospital to know about it for fear of some repercussions. Um, now it's it's important to let the hospital know and then the hospital can help a physician, nurse, not only work with the family to under, to help the family or the patient understand what happened and what's going to take place, but also to help the physician and the staff if it's a really bad outcome, um, deal with the emotional aspect that they have. Because when when the outcomes are I'm not talking about a you know post-operative infection that maybe takes a couple days to heal and the patient goes home a few days later than they wanted to, but when you have one of the really bad outcomes mm-hmm. with a death or something like that, it can be so devastating for the nurses and doctors who took care of the patient that they'll need some counseling, they'll need therapy. It'll be hard for them to just go back to work the next shift or take care of the next patient because they'll still be um, reliving the bad outcome themselves. The hospital can help with that, and they have um, ways to do counseling and helping out the nursing staff and other healthcare providers to, to move on from the bad outcome. Attorney and healthcare expert Dan Huff with us in the studio. We've been learning about bad outcomes and what can be done when that occurs, how to handle it when it happens from a communications and documentation perspective. And when it comes to the cases, I know that over your your career, you've focused a lot on the defensive side. You've you've been the guy that's in the corner for the the healthcare providers that are um, on the side of the bad event occurring. Are there mistakes, common common mistakes that you wish when you get these cases brought to you, you're like, oh, I wish you hadn't done this or that? Are, are there some simple errors in the process that you feel like may be good for someone to think about? Yeah, no question. Uh, the no, the number one thing that we that we never like to see is that um, somebody went back and changed the medical record after the fact without identifying that a change is being made. So so sometimes. Um, there's, and, and, and I keep using the surgery example just because it's kind of the easiest one, but it can apply to many other things. But if, if, uh, if a patient 
is in surgery um, and then they go to the recovery room, the surgeon many times will dictate their operative note at that point in time or write an operative note right away Mm -hmm. and then learn that in the recovery room, the patient had a bleeding episode or some sort of other complication and then had to go back to the operating room and get it fixed (laughs) or have another bad outcome. You know, you don't then go back to the medical record at that point and add something to your original note. It's fine to dictate a note and say, this is an addendum based on additional information that I've learned, or this is um, a late entry of information that I could have included in my earlier note, but didn't. As long as it's identified as one of those things, it's fine. But it's never good to go change the records. And we have that, um, you know, occasionally in lawsuits where somebody changed the records. It even can happen months later when not only the patient has had a bad outcome, but the patient has gone home, and then the, they get a letter from an attorney's office requesting medical records, um, sometimes doctors at that point will then go in and add to the record without uh, identifying it as being late. It's, it doesn't happen as much anymore because we of electronic medical records, which track whenever documentation is being done. So it's not, in the past, it would be adding a note to a prior note or adding some additional words to a prior note. But, but now it's all, it's an electronic medical record. So 100% of the time, the uh, other side finds out about it and uh, it never looks good no matter what. So um, I would definitely caution against doing that uh, every time. You know, something I, as we were talking about this part of things, the situations that I'm remembering back when I worked in the hospital long ago, um, I worked in a surgical ICU, uh, cardiac surgical ICU and, and recovery, taking care of intensive care, uh, surgical patients. And in times where, you know, a code type event or something seriously acute, you know, requiring at least near code type activity, because the pace of action and and so forth, a lot of times the someone would be deemed as the scribe, and and they might be. I, I remember many times the 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 notes were being taken on my leg on a piece of tape that gets run down your your leg there, so you can document time, vitals, actions in an easy to reach place. That you know, and I'm curious what to do with some of those records because at some point you're going to have to transcribe them in. Do you have to document that you're? Maybe they don't do that these days. I, I may be dating myself back to the Stone Ages. No, but they we still were do that. Taking emergency notes outside of the chart. Mm-hmm. How do you handle that? Well, so uh, and this is very common. So it may not be necessarily the tape on the leg, but somebody always has a scratch piece of paper mm-hmm. in that situation, and they're trying to do the best they can to keep up with it. Of course, the person who's writing that information is relying on the people who are telling them yes. about all that stuff, too. So it's an imperfect process, but it's imperfect because everybody's trying to save the patient's life. And so then what is understood to happen and happens every day is that that information gets placed into a code sheet or other pre-printed document or pre-loaded document that then that becomes the document. Um, In my experience with juries trying these kinds of cases, jurors not only understand that, that's what they really want to have happen. Mm. Um, They don't have a problem with it. They understand that it's by its nature somewhat inaccurate, that the times are not all going to be perfectly right. They may Mm -hmm. be off by a couple minutes, but they're willing and, and, and the, well, I shouldn't say willing, but they're very accepting of that because of the circumstances that take place. So 
what happens is the scratch paper, the tape, always gets thrown out once it all gets yes. put in there. And that's and that's that happens everywhere. I mean, once it gets put in the record, then that's that's the information that goes forward. Everything else gets tossed. I got you. If I'm a hospital or a, a healthcare provider out there in the community, I want to get more information about linking up with you. God forbid I need your help. How do I go about doing that? The easiest way is you can always send me an email, which is dhuff at huffpalbailey.com. Our website is www.huffpalbailey.com. And then um, our firm, all of our firm contact info is uh, on the website. That's probably the easiest way. If you've not done so already, in the upper left-hand corner of the show page, you'll see the Apple logo. It'll take you to the top Docs Radio Show podcast on iTunes. You can subscribe to us. That way, each week, the new episode will be downloaded straight to your device, ready for you to check out when it's convenient for you. And please turn around and share this information. Put this out. You might help somebody that's important to you just by clicking share. So we'll say thanks to all the folks that do that for us. And Dan, I know it's not necessarily easy to scrabble into uh, Buckhead in the middle of the afternoon. I appreciate you making time. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here. And I'm glad to get to talk about bad outcomes because everybody who's listening knows they're, they're going to happen. It's just, it's not a question of if, it's when. Yep. And, and handling it correctly when they do occur, it can lead to just the opposite. You can keep it from being as bad as it might have been otherwise if we handle it the right way. So I'm very pleased that we're having an opportunity to talk about this. Everybody out there who made us a part of their day today, thanks so much. And all the folks at Medical Association of Georgia, we appreciate your partnership in the show and making this possible. We look forward to catching up with you all the same time next week. We'll see you then.